All of the themes have something like the first Sunday uh, Pastor Matt preached, it was when you're lonely, Jesus rescues. Last week it was when you worry, Jesus rescues. And this week it's when you struggle, Jesus rescues. And I think it's always interesting because sometimes we look at what we teach to kids and we're like, oh, those are just the basics of the faith, just a very simplistic faith. And the reality is as you start digging into those themes, I remember uh, as I would go to camp and speak to kids at camp over the years, especially when I was a youth pastor, I loved going to camp because I found that when you make it as simple as possible, it just kind of is eye-opening for us all. It kind of cracks all of our hearts open when you go, oh, these are the basics of what we are about as followers of Jesus. And it's helpful just to get back to the basics sometimes and remember, remember these basic things about who God is for each and every one of us. And so this morning we look at when you struggle, Jesus rescues. And we're going to be looking at an interesting story that I don't know that I've ever preached on before. And that is the Garden of Gethsemane story. And it's a little bit strange to, preach, to be preaching on events leading up to Easter after Easter. But that's what we're going to look at this morning is the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26. There's kind of three movements to that story, three parts of that story. We're going to get there in a second. And the challenge I want to leave you with this morning, the challenge I want you to think about is whether for you, how, how easy or how difficult is it for you in the midst of struggle, in the midst of struggles you faced in your life, be, be it huge monumental issues going on with relationships, work, medical health issues, maybe, maybe housing, huge struggles you've had in your life, in the midst of those big things and in the midst of small day-to-day things, squabblings at work, Facebook rants that you see and you're like, how will I deal with this Facebook rant? You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Things big, things small. In the midst of those, the challenge is, can you see? Can you slow down enough in the midst of those struggles? Pay attention enough to see that God is still there. God is actually working Sometimes it seems like behind the scenes, but God is there working in the midst of the struggle. And there's a second part to this. And not only is God working in the midst of our struggles, but God is calling us to remember that we are participating in a bigger thing God is doing in this world. Of redeeming, restoring, reconciling, calling people back to God's self. God is doing that, and He's asking us to participate. And I think sometimes when we struggle, when we're in these tension points of life, we forget about the larger purpose to, what we, to which we have been called. And so I want to get to that because even Jesus struggled with this in the Garden of Gethsemane. Even Jesus had a moment where He was saying, God, the Father, are you sure this is what you're calling me to do? Even Jesus struggled with the call on his life. I, w- I was thinking about this a lot, this struggling and the way that struggles in life can really be almost paralyzing and debilitating to the point where we focus so much on the struggle that we can't focus on the bigger picture, that, that, we, that we forget there's a bigger picture, that we forget that God is involved at all. I was reminded, and I want to come back to this uh, biblical character again later, but I was reminded of Elijah. Elijah is this Old Testament prophet who's called at a time in Israel's history to speak to a king who's a really, really bad king, who's doing lots of bad stuff. He's married this woman Jezebel. She's brought in all these foreign gods, and Elijah is working his tail off 
to get people to come back to Yahweh. And he's doing it, and there's death threats against him, and he's just in this monumental struggle, monumental struggle where he ends up at this mountaintop experience, and God has to say to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? He calls Elijah out in the midst of the struggle, and I, and I have to say that I've read that story many times in my life over the years. I've read that story many times. I can remember uh, reflecting on that story way back when I was in seminary and wondering, where is God sending me? What is God up to in this call to ministry? And, and thinking that Elijah was asked, what are you doing here, Elijah? And I kind of flipped a question and said, yeah, God, what am I doing here? See, because God can ask that question, what are you doing here, Elijah? And it's almost like Elijah might go back to God and say, yeah, how did I get to this place? We're going to pick up that story later because God, in the midst of, of Elijah's struggle, shows up and helps Elijah on his journey. We're going to come back to that later on. And so the big question is, for us, in the midst of struggles, in the midst of these, these tension points in life, will we see God at work and will we trust that there's something bigger going on to which God is calling us to? Will we trust that God has a plan at all? Sometimes I think we, we doubt that. So we talk a lot about it. We, we throw the, 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 uh, the scripture that we love to throw around as, as followers of Jesus is uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, yes. And then in the midst of the struggle, we're like, do you really have plans, God? I think if we're honest, we, we would say, like, we question that. We wonder, God, do you really have plans? But I want to comfort you this morning in knowing that there is a, a struggle and there's a, a biblical example. There's multiple biblical examples. But, but this day, I want to look at Matthew 26 and look at the struggle Jesus himself has and the earliest followers have of Jesus. And then we'll return to what God does with Elijah as well. Hopefully, you're following me with all of that. So the disciples are in the Garden of Gethsemane, and how did they get there? Let's remind ourselves of the story of how they got there. We're going to work through this story in Matthew 26. So the Last Supper has just happened. Jesus gathers with his disciples. They're having a Passover meal. It's the last time together. He's reminding them that he is going to the cross. This is an idea, mind you, that the disciples don't like. They don't like the idea that Jesus is going to the cross. They've put their faith, their hope, their trust in him. They've declared he's the Messiah. He's the one God sent to save the world. And he keeps talking about how he's going to die. And for most of them, they don't have a religious construct. Their faith tradition doesn't say the Messiah will go and die. The Messiah is supposed to overthrow the bad guys, put everything right, so God's in charge again, and everybody who's an Israelite, a Hebrew, is winning again. And so when he says that he's going to die, it doesn't really work in what they're, they're thinking. And so he keeps reminding them that he's going to die. And, and even more, he says that they're all going to fall away and desert him once he dies. He says to them while he's sitting there, he says, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. See, Jesus is saying that even the earliest disciples, those who were walking with Jesus, who had left everything to be with Jesus, that when the struggle gets real, they're going to have a hard time believing that God is still with them, that there's still a higher purpose to which they have been called. 
Even the earliest followers of Jesus are going to scatter when things get tough. And now we know Peter, loyal Peter, is like, that won't be me. I won't do that. And we know that even Peter then says, like, no, I didn't know the guy when things get real. When the struggle gets real and the tension is there and he sees that Jesus is actually going to die, he's been arrested, and people are like, oh yeah, this is, this is one of his buddies too. Peter says, no, that's not me. Even the earliest disciples struggle with a sense of calling, purpose. Is God really still at work here when things get real? When things get real and the struggle gets tough. But they go to the garden then after the Last Supper. They go to the garden and Jesus says to some of his disciples, I'm going off to pray. But before he says that, here's where we start to see that even Jesus is struggling. Even Jesus is struggling with this idea in the garden where he says to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. See, Jesus knows what he's been sent to do. He, he, he knows the game plan. He knows what he's going to do. He's going to the cross, but as the struggle gets real, he begins inside of himself to say, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know that I can do this. In fact, later on, going a little bit further in the text, it says that Jesus falls with his face to the ground and he prays, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He, he knows what he has to do. He knows where his life is headed at this moment. But he pleads with the Father, please, there's got to be another way. There's got to be another way. Now, I don't want to compare what Jesus was facing with, with exactly what we've been facing. But have you thought about that in the midst of an intense struggle in your life? Intense struggles. And I'm talking about those big monumental ones I referenced earlier. Relationships, jobs, those huge things in life, illnesses. What do you do? And you just wonder, God, is there another way? There's got to be another way. Surely, God, this isn't the plan. I kind of think that's what Jesus is wrestling with here in this garden scene where he knows that there's a bigger purpose. He knows that there's something bigger God will do through him, something amazing. What the author of Hebrews says that in the joy set before him, Jesus went to the cross. That there's a joyful aspect of what Jesus is doing, but here in the garden, in this moment, he says, isn't there another way can't you take this from me father take this from me but he gives us some interesting words here that i think we can apply in the midst of our monumental struggles where he says not yet yet not as i will but as you will that he, he pleads with the father it kind of takes me back uh, to before easter when we were talking about lament this biblical idea that we can take our things to God and we can say, God, I don't like it the way it is. But when we do that, the biblical idea of lament, of taking our complaints to God, is that we expect, as we take our complaints to God, that God hears them and might actually do something to change our situation. That God is active in our lives. And so even as Jesus says, Father, there's got to be another way, he also says, but your will be done not mine. If this is the plan, the bigger thing you're up to, help me see, God, how you're a part of it. 
Help me see how in the, met, in the midst of this mess, this struggle that we are in, that God can and will redeem our situation. So I think in Jesus we have a model here of what we do when we struggle, that in the midst of these struggles in life, we say, God, I don't like what I'm going through, yet I trust that you're up to something. I trust, God, you're not done with me yet. I trust, Lord, that you have a bigger purpose in mind, though it's really, really hard to see it right now. So in the midst of this ultimate struggle, Jesus looks to the Father, shows his willingness to be a part of the larger story, this unfolding story of redemption, reconciliation, God's rescue plan for the whole world. And Jesus, ultimately, we know, submits to the will of the Father, to the plan of the Father. I think here in this moment, Jesus reveals to all of us that to follow him, to be a a part of this rescue plan, we too must submit our lives to the Father. We too, if we really want to follow Jesus, we need to see that in the midst of struggles, God has something bigger in mind. And we can't get distracted by our struggles, can't get distracted by these things in life to the point where we forget we have this awesome privilege of participating with God in bringing redemption to people's lives. We can't get distracted. We have to constantly say, I know there's something else, Lord. I want to go back to the prophet Elijah. So he's on the mountain, and he's convinced he's alone. He's convinced he's alone. And in fact, just before this, Elijah sits down and he says to God, I have had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Elijah's struggle was so intense that he sat down and he's like, just take my life now, God. I'm done. Elijah was starting, I think if you, if you kind of sort of psychoanalyze him here, he was starting to believe that God didn't have a bigger purpose for him. What he had done was over, and the struggle was so intense, he just wanted it to be over. But God leads him to this cave on Mount Horeb, and there's where where God comes to him and says, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replies, listen to what Elijah says. I've been very zealous for the Lord. I've, I've worked hard for you, God. Don't you see that? And then he says, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, and I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. I'm the only one left, God. I'm all alone. Have you been in that place in the midst of a struggle, in the midst of an intense situation in life where you're convinced you're the only one who understands what's going on? You get isolated, you get separated, and, and you're maybe even embarrassed by what you're going through to the point where you even get further away from people. I don't want to talk to anybody about this. Nobody will understand me. I'm the only one left. Maybe even you felt this way in a positive sense where you're trying to follow God and do the right things, but those around you are going, that's silly. Stop following God. Why would you do this? I remember as a kid, I felt that intensely as a kid, especially as an athlete, felt this sense of like, why are you making these commitments to this God that you say you love? And that peer pressure was real as a kid. Why are you making these commitments not to do this, not to do that, not to go with us when we do this kind of thing? Why are you doing that? Just give it up. And you start to feel like, am I the only one? 
Am I the only one left? But see, the truth was that God wasn't done with Elijah yet. God had a plan, and Elijah has work to do, and, and yet he's in this struggle, and he can't see the bigger picture, and so God brings him to this mountain, and he passes by Elijah. And Elijah sees God, or hears God in the whisper. And again then, after this, the Lord passes by and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And you would have thought that after this encounter with God, Elijah would have said, I don't know, God, help me out. I'm just messed up. Help me see what you have for me. But he goes, I've been very zealous for you, God. He goes back to this. I've been very zealous for you. Did you not hear me the first time? The Israelites rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death. I'm the only one left. Did you not hear me, God? That's what I'm doing here. Elijah still can't see the bigger picture, and so the Lord says to him, go back the way you came, go back. When you get there, and now he starts to give him some things to do to show him that he's not done with him, to show him that though he is struggling right now, he's in the midst of this intense tension point in his life, God's not done with him. God's not done with you if you're in that place. He's not done with you. He still has things for you to do, to participate in God's plan of redeeming the world. God's not done with us. He tells him, go back, anoint this other guy, king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, son of Nishmi, king over Israel. So we're going to change up the power structures here, Elijah, but I need you to do it. I need you. And finally, he says, and I've reserved 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. He says to him, you think you're alone. There's still 7,000 out there, faithful followers, who would love to join up with you, to support you, encourage you, come alongside of you, because we're going to change this thing. Can you trust me in that, Elijah? Can you now go from this mountain? Can you anoint Elisha to take care of what your call and task has been as prophet to Israel? Can you trust that God is up to something bigger when it felt like Elijah was just done? He's the only one left. This movement to follow Yahweh is over. It's just over. Nobody else is following Yahweh anymore. Nobody else is trusting God. That's how bad it's got. God has to remind him, you're not the only one. See, God is always at work. He's always doing something behind the scenes. He's always up to something bigger than what we can understand. And we have to remember that in the midst of the struggles of life. God is up to something bigger. God is still and always will be in the business of rescuing, redeeming, restoring, calling people back to himself. God is always doing that. But sometimes in the midst of our own struggles, we forget it. We go, well, I'm all alone now, God. There's nobody else who cares. I'm all alone in this, so might as well just give up. And we too have to be reminded that God is always inviting us to participate in something so much bigger. Let's go back to the story of the garden. Because as the story unfolds, you know, Jesus, if you remember, he said, keep watch with me to his disciples. And so even as Jesus is wrestling through what he has to do, he says to his disciples, please come with me. Be, come alongside of me. Pray. Keep watch. Be with me. I need you right now. And if you follow along in the story, uh, it's three different times where he goes off to pray and they fall asleep every time. They can't do this little thing. They struggle to do this small thing Jesus has asked. 
And so whereas Jesus, when we look at his example, it's this monumental thing Jesus is called to do. And Elijah, when we look at his example, it's this huge thing Elijah has been a part of in calling out the power structures of his world, calling people back to God, feeling like he's all alone, like they want to, and they do want to kill him. Now we look at the disciples, and they have this this failure just in the little things of life, the little things of keep watch. Keep watch, pray for me, come alongside of me. They, they can't even do that. They struggle to keep watch. They fall asleep. I wonder if more often than not, this is what we can identify with. That this day-to-day inability, this day-to-day struggle of focusing our attention on God. As I kind of mentioned before, jokingly, it's, it's you log into Facebook and you're having a great day and you see some happy things and then you see that one not so happy thing and you just go, I'm just over. My whole day is over. Now I'm angry at everyone I interact with and I want to just put it out there so everybody knows that I'm right and I have the right opinions, but then I don't know if I want to get caught up in this firestorm on Facebook and your whole day is, no, is just, that's what it's caught up in or, or it's an argument you have with, with a loved one. It's these little things, or somebody even in traffic cuts you off like that would ever happen in California. I mean, I don't know. But somebody does something, and now your whole day is just, is just off. The kids do something in the car on the way to school. That never happens in my family. But, and your just whole day started with screaming at kids. And you're like, man, the, these little struggles build up to where you forget As a person who says, I give my life to Jesus and I want to participate in God's bigger plan of redeeming the world and show grace to people that, gosh, I just went on the wrong track from the beginning. You kind of like the disciples, stay awake, stay alert, remember what you're doing. I'd rather sleep. I'd rather get distracted by these other things. And it's not necessarily terrible of us to do, it's just we're humans and it happens. And we struggle in these little things, these little annoyances of life. And that reminds me then of what Jesus says to his disciples, where he says to them, your spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I mean, how many of us, if we're, if we're pressed, we're like, oh, absolutely, I, I want to follow Jesus with my whole life. I want to do everything right. I want to impact the world. I want to impact my, my workplace, impact my school, my family. I'm going to do it all. And then quickly, it's just out the window because we get distracted by something that ticks us off and we're down a completely different road. The little annoyances of life where our spirits are willing but our flesh is so weak. And so I challenge you, people of God, I challenge myself, us, to find practices in life that can call us back, that, that can remind us when we get into these places that is there a way to be reminded that, oh, I, I want to have a bigger impact on the world I want to be focused, focused on who God is and, and where he's using me in my life daily in the conversations I could be having, should be having, ways that God is leading you into. I want to be focused on those things, God. I remember hearing a, a covenant pastor talk about she had had all these incredible conversion experience, or like experiences in her life where people had just like in a moment like confessed everything to her and became Christians. And she was like, I don't even know how it happens. It's weird. People were like, yeah, tell us how that happens because most of us don't have those daily conversations. And she said she, she started this with what she, she just called it expectation evangelism, where she would wake up in the morning and say, God, I expect you to use me. I don't know how. 
I don't know who it's going to be with. I don't know what it'll look like. But I expect you at the beginning of the day, God, to, to have my life intersect with somebody else's life and to be used by you. What would that look like to start your day? To start your day saying, Lord, I want to focus on what I can do to impact one life, five lives, ten lives today for you. And start your day that way. So our day doesn't quickly get off track and these little annoyances and struggles of life take us away from doing what we were called to do, to partnering with God and bringing God's redemption to the world. And then there's this final garden scene. The final scene in the garden where Jesus, uh, they come to arrest Jesus and Jesus' disciples again are still struggling and their struggle now intensifies Because they are struggling again, going back to the beginning of of what I was talking about. They're struggling with the idea that the Messiah is going to die. And so one of them takes matters into his own hand. And if you know how the story goes, pulls the sword and says, this is going to go down with a fight. You're not taking Jesus. This is not how this is going to happen. He pulls the sword out and he says, if this is the way the struggle is going to be, there's going to be blood. Again, I wonder how many of us, and you see this in our world, that, that now when we, when we have these struggles in life, that people resort to violence. I, I think so many of the things we're seeing when it comes to school shootings and, and mass shootings, it's, it's connected to people who they're struggling in their life, and, and as a society, somehow we're, we've come to a place where violence is the answer. And people, if they're not connected to a larger story, don't have a larger story or people that they can go like, I need to talk to you about what's going on in my life because it doesn't feel right and I'm struggling with life. Instead, we're seeing suicide on the rise and these mass shootings on the rise. And we see that it's nothing new because people from the beginning were saying violence is the answer when I don't like what's going on around me. But isn't it interesting that the way of Jesus what Jesus does in this moment where maybe, maybe if, he, if his human side was tugging on him a little bit more, he would have said, all right, this is kind of interesting. Let's see what we can do. Instead, Jesus says, no, put the sword away. That's not how my people, and that's not how people who follow me will respond. Put the sword away. In the midst of the struggle, Jesus calls them back again to the bigger purpose. What Jesus says to them is that this has to happen for the scriptures to be fulfilled. So Jesus in this moment in in telling his disciple, put the sword away, reminds them that there's a bigger story that God is writing. There's a bigger story of redemption and rescue that God is writing, and you all, my followers, get to participate in it. But if it goes down like this, if it goes down like this, it's going to take you on a different trajectory. It's not going to be participating with God. It's going to take you down a path of violence, maybe where they're executed. And so Jesus says, no, put the sword away. All of this has taken place so that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. And the story ends in the Garden of Gethsemane. The story ends, it says, Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Jesus' words at the Last Supper of his people being scattered, the sheep being scattered when, when the shepherd goes away, come true. And so the struggle ultimately is so real for them. This struggle of what will they do next? What will they do with this intense tension they're now feeling in their lives 
What will they do? The struggle is real. They flee. They're struggling to embrace the bigger picture. But again, I think we have to give these guys a break. See, because we know that when our hopes seem dashed, when, when something enter in, enters in that we didn't expect, it's easy for us, too, to kind of flee, look elsewhere, instead of constantly being reminded that we're part of a bigger story. We're part of God's plan to rescue the whole world. We are given a task, maybe like Elijah was given a task. I still have something for you, Elijah. Can you hear it in the midst of the struggle? I still have something for you, see me covenant. I still have something for you, insert your name. Can you hear the voice of the Lord saying that to you? I still have something for you. Because the truth is, the disciples then later, Jesus raises from the dead and he comes back. And he gives them a new task. He says, the Spirit will come. The Spirit will come and you will preach to the whole world. You'll start here and it'll go out and it'll go out and the whole world will then know what God has done through Jesus' work on the cross. The whole world will know and you, disciples, have been given this task. Go. Tell the good news. Go. They're given a new task. I pray for each and every one of you, for all of us, that we would remember in the midst of the struggles of life be it huge, huge monumental struggles or those little daily things, that somehow we would find a way to come back and realize God's not done with us. God's not done with you. God's not done with me. There's another task, another opportunity to participate with God in bringing the world to God's self. Would you pray with me? God, we do trust that you have a plan. We, we're sitting here in this place, God, believing that you have a plan to bring the world to yourself. That you sent your son, God, to show how much you loved us. God, you sent your son to die and he, and he knew the task, he knew the mission, though he struggled with it. He went to the cross knowing, Lord, joyfully knowing that it meant all people all people could come to know you, God. Lord, we pray now that as we, we confess we have struggles in our life, Lord, that take our attention off of you. We confess, Lord, we have huge struggles in our lives, Lord, that we don't like and we don't understand. We have tensions in our life, Lord, where we wonder where are you at in those things, God. But as Jesus said, we pray, we trust that there is a plan and that your will is greater than ours. Remind us, God, of the plan you have for us. Remind us, God, that you have work for us to do. Help us, God, if it means to start each and every day saying, I expect you to use me, Lord, to hear those words, incorporate that into our life, and to listen when your Spirit leads us. God, we do want to build up our trust in you to the point where we would, God, we would have multiple, many opportunities to partner with you to see lives changed by the power of Jesus. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.